Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association. I'm Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website, westernfrontassociation.com. Today, the 27th of February 2017, marks the opening of applications for the WFA's PhD scholarship scheme. This scheme aims to give small grants to help PhD students studying aspects of the Great War. This week's show features the research of two students that WFA supported last year. Jack Davis talks to us about his research into stately homes as hospitals, and Philip Gregory then tells us about British cartoon humour during the Great War. To begin with, I spoke to Dr Philomena Badsey, the WFA's universities officer. She runs the PhD programme and outlined key dates and requirements for students who may wish to apply this year. Well, um, this year's PhD programme opens uh, today and uh, will uh, close on the 25th of September 2017. It is open to anybody um, in second year of their PhD research in any United Kingdom or Republic of Ireland University. And we welcome applications from anybody who is undertaking research related to the First World War, but which covers all aspects. So, for example, diplomatic history or archaeology or geographical impact of the war on certain landscapes. Any member, current member of the WFA is encouraged to apply. That was Dr Philomena Badsey, the WFA's Universities Officer. One of the students who benefited from an award last year was Jack Davis. I asked him to tell us about his research. Uh, so my thesis examines the social and cultural importance of stately homes that were used as hospitals during the First World War. And so in this, I study the donation of these private residences, uh, the maintenance of discipline and the presence of crime within them, uh, hospitals that were created specifically for colonial and dominion soldiers, and the different roles that women held within these medical institutions as well. So it's kind of just examining the institutions for a, historic, a history of medicine kind of uh, approach, but also looking at how they fit into British society and British culture throughout the war. So is this, is this sort of large stately homes of Lord and Lady Muck who, uh, who then give, out, give over their residence for um, war work, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. So it would be people who offered their homes to the British Red Cross in order to mostly they became auxiliary hospitals or convalescent homes. So where soldiers would go and rest to recover from their wounds rather than have you know serious surgeries or anything. So why, why did you come to study this this particular subject? That's a really good question. I um So I've always been really interested in the history of medicine. And I think I came to university and started to do the history of, of military medicine more broadly. And while studying for my MA and doing some First World War stuff, I, I realized that it was actually a surprising lack of information written about hospitals created within private residences. And it seemed to me to be a really strange omission because so many homes were actually used as hospitals. And these buildings have such strong ties to British national identity, to British culture. And they're so highly classed. They're very classed spaces. It's all about the aristocracy, the elite. And it's, I think I always thought that must have permeated into the experience of the wounded and I kind of just wanted to yeah, get my hands in and try and figure it out. 
So I know Downton Abbey looked at this, I think, uh, if I'm correct. They, ha- they handed over the, the Abbey to the, the war effort, and there were various interactions. Um, and did, are there any, uh, any stories that emerge from soldiers' accounts or, or, or other sources about how, how people actually found their experience uh, in these convalescent homes? Yeah, there are so many, so many interest, interesting stories. And like you say, Downton Abbey really kind of has captured the imagination of, of the country and kind of the world at large. But some of the most interesting things that I have found have been around kind of crime and discipline and deviance. So one day I was in the National Archives and I, I literally just stumbled across these police files, which really read like an episode of CSI. There were uh, investigator reports, there were witness statements, and it was really exciting to kind of flick through them and to kind of get a feel for how the police system worked. But basically, a shell-shocked officer managed to regain possession of his revolver, and they think it was when he was allowed out, because they officers were treated with a, a bit more leniency than, than the soldiery. And so he was allowed out to go home and visit his mum and sister, and he managed to bring his revolver back in, and in an escape attempt from Latchmere House Hospital, he shot and murdered an orderly. And uh, once detained by the police, he declared that he did it for the benefit of England. And he accuses the staff of Latchmere Hospital of doing experimental medicine on the patients. And unfortunately, I haven't managed to prove or disprove this accusation. But I think it's, it's a really interesting story that you know, people don't necessarily think about when they talk about hospitals within stately homes. And another couple of things that I have, are it, it's they did a lot of uh, kind of fundraising for these institutions and so they used to do sports days where soldiers would compete with each other with members of staff and members of the public and most of the time it was kind of normal sports but occasionally you find newspaper articles like one that happened at Clevedon Estate never have any of the spectators seen a more strenuous pillow fight other times they were having mop fights and bomb throwing competitions so there's loads of really really random and cool stuff happening within these hospitals. And why do you think your research is important? Obviously, it's probably a bit early days to actually come up with any solid conclusions. But have you got an idea of how this would contribute to the wider historiography of the Great War? Absolutely. So um, my research, well, I think it's important because it, it really follows the soldiers from the trenches back into Britain. And it examines the way they're able to reacclimatize or not, as the case may be, to British peacetime society. And I think in particular for colonial and, and dominion soldiers, who I study quite a lot, there's been very little work that follows them away from the fighting fronts. So for those within Britain, there's not that much on it. So actually I'm offering kind of an imperial aspect to the history of medicine. And I do, I like one of my chapters is offering an alternative narrative that's a, a bit at odds with the cultural memory of the war. So though many people think that the donation of these homes was you know, a sign of patriotism, Actually, my research has indicated that there were certain other benefits for the landed elite. So I think that's quite an interesting thing that people maybe don't realise or haven't really thought about before. That's really. And you say you looked at Dominion soldiers. Are you looking at the experience of Indian soldiers and South Africans uh, and maybe Afro-Caribbean soldiers who, who come in to, um, to convalesce after fighting in, in, in Flanders and France? Unfortunately, due to um, kind of word constraints, I look at the three biggest. So I've yep. got uh, India, Australia and Canada. Ah, and were there, were there, I mean, I know their sort of reputation of the Australians was that they were always rather an ill-disciplined lot, um, <laughs> allegedly. And um, are there differences in how um, the various, uh, I suppose, groups actually responded to the, the, the climate of convalescent homes? Absolutely. There is, um, even in soldiers' testimonies through hospital magazines and their memoirs, a lot of them recall the way they are treated by British people, and a lot of British people are very... 
concerned with Australian behaviour. Um, you see a lot of references to how terribly they behaved they were in Egypt. And so when they come to, to Britain, people are a bit a bit dubious, I think, and, and kind of treat them perhaps a bit differently. And then in comparison, you have the Canadian soldiers who don't have this kind of negative reputation. So the way they're interacted with and the way they interact with Britons is actually quite different. That's really interesting. And Jack, final question. What are you going to do after you uh, complete your studies? That's yeah. That's quite a quite a terrifying question. So right now I'm just focusing on on getting it done, um, and I'm a hist- I'm the historian in residence at the Turner Contemporary Art Gallery in Margate. So I also do that, and I have some ideas for some future research projects that I would really like to try and kind of continue. But you know, it's all up in the air. It's very difficult, but we'll see what happens. Jack, thank you very much for your time. Our second interview is with Philippa Gregory. I started our discussion by asking Philippa to outline the subject of her research. My research at the moment is looking at the humour in cartoons related to the First World War. And why did you choose that subject? It's something I fell into rather more than anything else. Um, I, I decided to do a master's and thought I was going to look at images in posters and then was categorically told it's been done. Um, but working at Kent, there is a cartoon archive there, so I was sort of edged in that direction and uh, then pretty much took up residence for a couple of years in there. <laughs> and what, what, what sort of things have, have emerged from, the, from, the, from your work? Uh, more than anything, the simple fact that there are more cartoons than I can ever look at, and there's more that I want to do with them than I'm going to fit in a single thesis. Have you noticed any sort of major differences between different services, for instance, Army or Navy, in your work? Um, not specifically. For the most part, I'm looking at more domestic cartooning. Um, so therefore things on the home front cover a number of aspects of the war in different ways. Um, I have also looked for one chapter at a comparison of the domestic home front cartoons um, compared to um, journals and things like that. So how subversive were some of these cartoons? I mean, were they direct challenges to authority or were they often much more complex than that? Far more complex. Uh, That's actually the chapter I've been editing today. Um, is looking at spies, well, not spies. Originally, it was going to be spies, profiteers, and pacifists. And then I decided that spies didn't quite fit because they're the foreigners doing the wrong thing in Britain, whereas the profiteers and the pacifists are the internal enemy at home. Um, But as I say, they they subvert authority. The way that they're depicted in cartoons goes one of two ways. It's either they are depicted being foolish and stupid, purposefully to correct their behaviour, or there are certain cartoonists who would use the subversive lines far more strongly and they would almost very critically depict these characters, making them look quite evil almost. So it's very much of a, um, I suppose, a, a front-line perspective of the, of the home front. In many ways, a lot of it, yes. And is there, is there a lot of continuity between units? And I don't know whether you're looking at Dominion forces as well as sort of British Army units. I've looked at a few, but I haven't used them specifically because um, far more of the Dominion units provide more um, sequential art. So it's a, it's sort of a comic strip rather than individual comic mm-hmm. cartoon images. So it's been part of my defining line of where I'm looking at things and not. So I understand that you're in the final stages of, of actually submitting your work. What emerges you as the key lessons or the key, the key points that, that you, you would make about, about uh, cartoons <coughs> and humour uh, in the Great War? A lot of the cartoons, I've actually termed them as a um, sort of commercial memory. 
So it's something that was given to the public and has become a memory through it being sold to them. That's probably the, the biggest contribution that I'm adding, but it also draws on a lot of aspects of how um, <clears throat> civilians at home and the soldiers in, in battle had been very separated in sort of older elements of the historiography and then they started to come closer together, being connected through correspondence and otherwise. And if you look at their humour, there is only a very fine line of difference between how they laugh and how they produce the cartoons that make them laugh. Philippa, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman, and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.